Hey there, ABF Online. It is great to be with you again. Hey, nothing else needs to be said. Why don't we get into a time of worship? When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadows, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. Sing it out, church. Here we go. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I sing through the night. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. Stand against the power of our God. 
not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us, and thank you so much for joining us online. Chris here, and I have just a couple of things I'd like to bring to your attention. Uh, first off, uh, we are so thankful that uh, you have clicked on our video and, and that you're doing church with us, and uh, we love uh, to be able to do church with you. Uh, so we just hope and pray that it is a blessing for you throughout the week. Uh, well, as you know, we as a staff, we love praying for you, and uh, we would just encourage you to text your uh, confidential prayer request, your prayer requests to 97,000. Uh, you can do it at any time, and uh, we would get them. We will get them, and we'll love uh, to be able to pray for you. Uh, well, there is a lot going on at Agora Bible Fellowship. A lot's happening. Uh, tons of different ministries and weekly happenings, and if you are interested in knowing some more information, or, or if you would like to have more information, our website is like the best place to go. Uh, you can visit us anytime at agorabible.org. And if you're on the website, you'll notice that there is a Give tab, and uh, you can make a donation there. Uh, as you know, uh, our ministries are, um, are here because of your financial generous support, and we would be so grateful if you would uh, prayerfully consider making a donation. Well, before we get into God's Word, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Well, Father, we are so grateful um, for the fact that we uh, get to send these videos out, that we get to have church with people uh, that are in different cities, different states, and throughout our country and many countries. Lord, we thank you uh, that you're a God of faithfulness and that you listen and hear us, Lord. We pray for the next few minutes as we open up your word, Lord, that you speak to us, that we hear you. And uh, make it clear to us what you want us to, to get out of these next few minutes. Or we love you so much. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your unending love. We love you so, so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, hello again. For those that don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So good to be with you. Hey, so my nine-month-old daughter, Holly, uh, she is a walking conversation starter. For any young parents, anyone that's had kids, had a baby, you know that's just kind of how it goes. The little baby is just the easiest conversation starter in the world. So uh, earlier this week, I took Holly out for a walk. I had her in her stroller just walking in our little neighborhood and ran across this sweet older lady and we just started chatting it up and we were walking and in the middle of our conversation, the conversation kind of went towards religion. Uh, wasn't even me. It was actually, it was her. And she just started chatting uh, about her religion. And so we kind of got into this conversation talking about her religion. And as the conversation kind of went on, uh, I think she had made some assumptions about me being uh, a part of her religion as well, uh, just because of the conversation that we were having. And so she asked me a question and I kind of had to just stop her. And I was like, well, actually I'm a Christian and I go to this church and she was very surprised. She's like, 
oh, I just assumed that you were my religion too uh, because of the conversation. And uh, anyways, the conversation from there then shifted dramatically when she found out as a Christian and we started talking about other things and the conversation kind of went this way. And eventually during this conversation, I, I kind of came to a place and I, and I said, well, really, it just kind of depends on what we do with Jesus. Really, that's all it comes down to. And her immediate response was kind of snarky. Um, I tried not to be offended. Uh, her immediate response was, well, I know what we do with Jesus. And uh, my response to that then was, or her response was the snarky response. And then she kind of backtracked a little bit. And uh, she said, well, you know what? Actually, I'm okay with Jesus being a good teacher. I'm okay with that. That's absolutely fine. And my response to her was, well, most people are. And I was just thinking about that as we're diving into our scripture today and as we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Man, Jesus claims to be so much more than a good teacher. He claims to be so much more than that. He is so much more than that. Uh, as we've seen in our first two weeks going through the book of Hebrews, man, Jesus is the greatest. We're going to see that again here today as we dive in. Uh, that Jesus is absolutely the greatest. So this entire book of Hebrews is quite rich. Um, I'm using the word rich. Some people might say dense, but man, it is so, so rich. I was thinking, does anybody else enjoy a really rich dessert? So for me, when it comes to dessert, the richer, the better. I have a crazy, crazy sweet tooth the richer the better. Like it cannot be too rich. I will just gobble it down, I promise you. Um, are you like that? Or are you on the other side of the equation? I know that there are people like this that exist that, man, sometimes a dessert can just be too rich for them and they're not all about it. It sounds super weird to me and foreign, but I actually think that there's more people like that than there are like me, which is okay. So if you're like that, that's fine too. Uh, but I was just thinking about that, man, it is possible for us to have kind of the same feelings when it comes here to this book of Hebrews, for some people to just absolutely love the richness and depth uh, that the author of Hebrews goes into, and for other people, it just be like, whoosh, over my head, way too much, too heady, too theological, not my stuff, uh, and I think that's okay. Uh, the section that we're going to be diving into today is for sure one of those where if you were just going through and just reading on your own, maybe in your morning or evening quiet time, just reading through God's word, uh, chances are you'd read it once. Maybe you would read it a second time. Um, and you'd probably be a little confused as to what happened. And chances are you'd probably just say, oh, that sounds like some nice stuff. Doesn't really all click or connect or make sense. Uh, but I'm not going to bust out a commentary and really like dive into it and like get to the bottom of it. And so you just kind of go on your way. Uh, chances are that this is one of those types of passages. Uh, so today what we're going to do is we are going to just soak in the richness. We're going to like dive in deep. And the good news is that I've kind of done the work on my end, uh, looked at the commentaries, kind of done that stuff. So you guys get to just kind of come along for the ride. Um, which is going to be really sweet. If you are someone that is newer to church, newer to Christianity, 
Uh, man, what a perfect week to be watching in, to be watching this video, to be joining as we got, go through God's word. Uh, because today, the scripture that we're going to be unpacking today is so foundational to Christianity, so foundational to why Christians love and follow Jesus. It hopefully will make things clear, give some answers. Uh, really glad that you're here listening today. If you're someone that's been in the church, you've been a Christian, been following Jesus for a long time, man, it is gonna be so sweet to just like soak in the goodness of God, the goodness of the gospel. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna dive in and get after it together. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, God, thank you so much for a chance to be in your word. Um, Lord, we just pray, and I just pray, God, right now, that you would just speak, um, that you would just say what you want to say, that the sweetness, the richness of the gospel message uh, would just come through so clearly, uh, regardless of how I um, articulate or communicate, Lord. I pray that you would just say what you want to say, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be moving and working in this video, even hours, days, weeks after I'm recording this now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be moving and stirring in hearts and lives. Um, God, would it just be a sweet time of richness in your word. Lord, we ask that you would show up now. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at today. Uh, last week, Pastor Scott tackled the beginning of this chapter, and he left off in this conversation that was talking about how everything is in subjection to Jesus. The author says, so you might not see it now, but you do see something. And Pastor Scott concluded with verse 9, so Hebrews 2, verse 9, and we're actually going to read that one again because that kind of kicks off this next section that we're going to be in today, of talking about who Jesus is. Jesus is our suffering founder. That's number one. Jesus is our suffering founder. I'm actually going to start back in verse 8 uh, of Hebrews chapter 2, um, just to kind of bring us in. It says this, at present... We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now getting into verse 10, which is our section is picking up from today. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, it's rich. I know, right? I'm actually going to read verse 10 again, just so we're all on the same page. It's just going to help to hear it again. Verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he, that's talking about God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, that he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So, in a nutshell, what it's saying is that it was fitting 
for Jesus, who is the founder or hero, as some translations like to say, the founder or hero of salvation to be made perfect through suffering and death. Okay, that's it in a nutshell. And so I think our questions should be both the questions that the original readers would think and as we read today, our questions should be why and how. Why is it fitting that Jesus suffer and die? And how was he made perfect through suffering? Make sense? Those are the two questions I think logically need to be asked as we dive into this passage. Why is it fitting that Jesus suffer and die? Because truth be told, it does not seem fitting. It doesn't. I uh, caught a Netflix movie that came out a few years back. Um, It's about the life of Ted Bundy. It's called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Talking about Ted Bundy, the serial killer, man, that's exactly what he is. He was a serial killer. He kidnapped and murdered uh, 30 women over a four-year span. Uh, Watching the movie, it'll kind of like make your heart uh, and stomach like turn a little bit. Um, It probably didn't help that Lindsay and I were traveling when we watched it, and we were in this kind of sketchy Airbnb all alone. Um, Anyways, uh, but it's just one of those where just make your heart turn. Just the the title is just so accurate to the description for him. And so it was actually years later, it was over 10 years later that he was finally executed for the crimes that he committed. And you hear that story, if you were to watch, if you were to kind of get into his story, you'd think, man, that is absolutely fitting. His suffering and death, completely, completely fitting. I get it. However, here, the original Jewish readers who have been taught and believe that Jesus is Messiah, they would ask a question because Messiah, the Savior, was supposed to conquer their enemies, not die. And on top of that, Jesus' death wasn't this like heroic, amazing, awesome death. It was shameful. It was a suffering death. It was the death of a common criminal. It was not special at all. How is it fitting for for Messiah? How is that fitting for Messiah? And here the author is telling his Jewish audience, hey, trust me. His death, was, his death was fitting, and it made him perfect. Made him perfect. So perfect here is not a description of his character. It's not uh, talking about the fact that he was sinless, that he lived a perfect life. So he did. He lived a perfect life. He was completely sinless. However, that's not what this word here is talking about. Here, this Greek word for perfect Uh, is saying that by his suffering and death, Jesus completed the job. He fulfilled his role. He reached the end goal. It was perfect. Does that make sense? So that's how it made him perfect. But again, why is it fitting that he suffer and die? Now, I could say it's because it was God's plan from the beginning, which it was, but I don't think that fully answers the question because I think it just kicks the question a little bit farther down because then the next logical question would be, well, why was that God's plan from the beginning? Like, why? Why would that be his plan? Uh, God's plan was for Jesus' death, 
Uh, why not do it another way, right? I don't know. I think that's the question that should be asked. He is God after all. Well, there is good reason, so says the author. So let's continue on reading. So Jesus is our suffering founder. He's also our unashamed brother. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. I could say after every section, man, it's so rich. You already know. It's so, so rich. Let's start with a couple of definitions just so that we're all on the same page. First of all, sanctify. That word is in there a couple of times. Sanctify means to make holy. He who sanctifies or he who makes holy is Jesus, if you're looking there in the text. Those who are sanctified or those who are made holy, that's those humans to choose to accept his sanctification. So to recap, just that little, that little piece, so we're all on the same page, Jesus, the one who makes humans holy, and those humans who have let him, all have one source. And that source is God the Father. Okay, so what does that mean, right? <laughs> like we could just keep on going. So what does that mean? What this means, that Jesus and humans have one source, God the Father, it means three amazing things. The first thing is this, is that we humans and Jesus share uh, humanity and are united under God in our humanity. It's saying that Jesus was fully human. Not only was Jesus fully God, but he is also fully human, and that's important for us all to be on the same page. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we look the same before God. We humans and Jesus look the same before God when we let Jesus sanctify us, okay? So last week, if you're around or if you listened online, Pastor Scott talked about the fact that we humans are image bearers of God. We are created as image bearers of the Lord. However, that image has been tainted because of what? Because of our sin. So, that image that we shared as image bearers of God has been tainted because of sin. However, Jesus completely restores our image before God because Jesus' holiness is placed on us. We look the same before God. That's the second thing that it means. Lastly, the third thing that's meant by we all have one source is that now we enjoy a completely new relationship with Jesus. You see it there in verse 11. In sanctification, while Jesus makes us holy, we are Jesus's brothers and sisters. Now, I know this is, this is rich stuff. It's good. Stick with me. This new relationship did not exist before his suffering and his death, which we talked about in the last section. This new relationship as brothers and sisters didn't exist. Uh, I actually learned something this past week that I found super, super interesting. Um, this truth, Jesus illustrates even in how he refers to humans in the scripture. 
So I had no idea, but before the crucifixion, Jesus referred to people as disciples, as friends, as sheep, but never as brothers. The first time we ever see Jesus use the term brother referring to another human being is in John chapter 20, which is after the resurrection. In that context, Jesus is talking to Mary and he refers to the disciples as his brothers. That's the first time it happens in the scripture. It's after his suffering and death. It's a brand new relationship. It is by means of the cross, it is by means of Jesus' suffering and death that we have the opportunity to enter into this relationship with Jesus as a brother or a sister and as a son or daughter of God the Father. That is incredible. Equally incredible, if we were to continue on, uh, maybe even more incredible, I know that's a bold statement. In verse 11, we see that Jesus isn't ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of us. And then the author continues to go on and he quotes three Old Testament passages, both from Psalm and Isaiah. Um, Some commentators say that what's going on here, why he quotes those three passages is he's drawing some comparisons to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah's sons. Isaiah had a number of sons and they all had these very symbolic names referring to how God was going to redeem humanity. So some say he's just kind of drawing on that. Others say it's kind of a little bit more simple, a little bit more straightforward, just quoting some messianic scriptures, really emphasizing this new relationship that we have as Jesus's brothers and really emphasizing Jesus's humanity. Either way, um, possibly both, uh, really what he's doing, he's drawing in his Jewish audience and he's using Old Testament scripture kind of as that foundational piece. It's all through the book of Hebrews, really, really sweet. The point, however, that I cannot get over in this entire section is the fact that Jesus is not ashamed of us as his brothers and sisters. Isn't it completely, completely backwards that Jesus is never ashamed of us as his brothers and sisters, despite the fact that we humans are broken, we're sinful, we're very weak. But at the same time, there are some times when we are ashamed of him. Isn't that crazy? Doesn't that absolutely blow your mind? Uh, It is so easy for us to wave the Jesus flag when we're at church, when we're around Christians, when we're around other people that are agreeable. Uh, However, given the right situation, um, the right environment, being around the right uh, person, uh, I know ashamed might even sound like like too strong a word in some cases, but in other cases, it's the exact, exact right word. Um, I was thinking about it. Just thinking back through like conversations I've had with other people, thinking through scenarios in my life um, of having these types of feeling of like shame to call him my brother um, or have a relationship with him. Uh, I think for some people, maybe part of it has to do with just the exclusive nature of the gospel and just not wanting to offend with that. Um, honestly, what I've seen um, more... Uh, well, more recently in my life is more just like uh, when it comes to the offensive nature of hot topic cultural issues, thinking about like sexuality, um, thinking about marriage, other issues like that. 
Um, just, I, I really feel like that's where those types of feelings can come out. And man, when you stop to think about it, just how crazy is it that Jesus is never ashamed to call us his brother and sister, and yet we can be ashamed to call him ours. Have you been there? Have you been there? Uh, I don't know what that's looked like in your life, that process of, um, yeah, just feeling that type of shame. Um, But I just wanted to say a couple of things about it, and I think it's important to you. The first is, man, Jesus' sanctification and his grace is big enough to cover it all. It's crazy that he even knows that we're going to have these feelings and be ashamed of him at times, and yet he still loves us and still wants to make us holy and still has grace overwhelming. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think it's so important to even just think through logically. There's a couple of things. The first thing is if you really think about it, it makes absolutely zero sense to ever have any ounce of shame about being in relationship with Jesus. It just doesn't. So I think, man, even just having that as a starting point is so, so important. The second thing, I think it's important just practically thinking through the argument. These cultural hot topics are the wrong place to start any sort of spiritual conversation. But yet that's exactly where so many people want to start the conversation. You know when somebody comes and asks you, hey, and like the the whole conversation is, so what's the Christian view on, on homosexuality? You know exactly what the intent behind that question is. It's either A, to pick a fight, or B, to just justify whatever current belief system they have to just be completely feel justified in that. However, that is not the place to start in this conversation. The place to start in this conversation is who is Jesus? This conversation that we're having today that we're diving through in scripture today. Because if he is who he says he is, if he is who the author of Hebrews says he is, then he's the authority point blank. I was listening to a Tim Keller conversation. Uh, He was, it was a Tim Keller sermon. Uh, It was on a completely different topic, but he was uh, a completely different series, but he was talking about this topic. And he made the comment, he said, man, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he's the son of God, if he's the judge of the world, et cetera, et cetera, all these things that he claims to be and that Christians believe him to be, then he could ask all Christians to chop off one of their feet and just hop around for the rest of their lives. And what would be the appropriate response to that? Sure, fine, good deal. I'm in because of who you are, I am in. He is not ashamed to call us brother. There should be zero part of us that is ever ashamed to call him ours. Jesus is our suffering founder, our unashamed brother. He's also our partaking deliverer. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Okay. Rich, I know. Since the children, that is humanity, who are now enjoying this new relationship with the Father, share in flesh and blood. All humans, we share flesh and blood. We all have it. 
Therefore, Jesus also partook of flesh and blood. Partook here is a fantastic word choice. I just want to dive in to a little bit of the nuance in the Greek word for partook. The Greek word here implies taking hold of something not naturally of one's own kind. Jesus partook of flesh and blood. He added our nature, which is not naturally of his own kind, to his. And I think that adds a layer to our question of why, right? Why did he die? And this adds another layer of why become human at all? Why not just stay God? I mean, as God, couldn't he just accomplish all that he needed to as God? Why become human, right? Now, part of the answer is that he did it for us. We were desperately, desperately in need of a hero. And so he did it for us. If you think about it, man, we humans that consist of flesh and blood were doomed to lifelong enslavement by an otherworldly enemy that had an incredibly, incredibly powerful weapon. Think about that. Sounds like the plot to Avengers, doesn't it? Sounds like the plot to a movie. It does, but it's not. It's the story of humanity. That is our story. It is hardwired into us. I wonder if that's why we love hero stories and movies so, so much. It is hardwired into us. That is the story of humanity. If you look there in verse 14, who is the enemy? Enemy we're talking about is the devil. And what's his weapon? It's the power of death. Sounds like a pretty strong weapon right? Yeah. And we humans were completely helpless and hopeless against it until, until a more powerful weapon came along. What happens to the effectiveness of a weapon when a more powerful weapon comes along? So I've told you in a previous message that I really enjoy the movie Gettysburg it is a movie about the Battle of Gettysburg from the Civil War. Uh, really, really good. Super long. Some people think it's really boring. You should go check it out. I have, I have always thought this. Man, uh, if you're not familiar with the type of fighting in the Civil War or during that battle, it's kind of a revolutionary war style where the two armies kind of come and line up and they've got the rifles that they have to load uh, through the the muzzle, and then they just line up and just like, you know, you see their eyes across the field and you just pull and shoot. And I, I've always thought, man, what would happen if you gave like 10 guys a modern fully automatic rifle, like what kind of damage they could do? I'm telling you, they could take out an entire army just with those like 10 guys. It would be absolutely wild. Uh, I've always thought that I, I, it's probably just me. It's probably just me, but I thought, man, that's so perfect. That's exactly the description we're talking about because what happens is a weapon is only effective until a more powerful weapon comes along. The devil had the power of death, which was an incredibly powerful and effective weapon, especially considering the fact that we humans were completely unarmed and helpless against it. Fortunately, Jesus had a vastly superior weapon, vastly superior. And what is that weapon, you ask? 
How does he destroy the devil and the power of death? Look there in verse 14. Through death. Wait. So are you saying that dying was his weapon? Well, not exactly. uh, Because if you just think about that logically, uh, that really wouldn't make any sense. If Jesus stayed dead, that kind of would have accomplished the opposite thing. Like, his weapon wouldn't have been effective. However, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, conquering death once and for all. He used his weapon, his weapon, the power of life. Jesus partook of flesh and blood. He added our nature to his ultimately so that he could deliver us from death by adding his nature to ours. But why? Josh, you still haven't answered the question, why in the world did he become human? Why become human? Why not just defeat death as God? Should be the question that we're still asking. And I think you're gonna like this last point. So Jesus is our suffering founder. He's our unashamed brother. He's our partaking deliverer. And finally, he's our sympathizing priest. Look at verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." Okay, so before we get to why he became a human, and trust me, I promise I'm not stalling. We are absolutely gonna get there. Uh, There is one more benefit of Jesus' humanity, and we see there at the end there in verse 18. Because he was human and experienced temptation, he is now able to help us in our temptation in the here and now. This isn't a future thing. This is for us here and now. The Greek word that's translated help uh, means to run to the aid of someone that has cried out for help. And the picture really is of a parent with their child. So little nine-month-old Holly, she cannot audibly or verbally say help. However, she can absolutely cry out for help. Uh, Just the other day, uh, she was in a situation. So we have her, her car seat. And attached to her car seat, we have a pacifier. So it just always stays with the car seat. It's literally attached. And we put that up kind of on this little hutch that we have in uh, this hutch that we have just there in the family room. And Holly has, uh, over the last little bit, she's kind of gotten to a point where now she can pull herself up and kind of come to a standing position. Uh, It's the best. That's all she wants to do. So cute. She is everywhere. She's just freaking everywhere. And uh, the other day, she pulled herself up on the hutch because she saw the pacifier dangling there on the car seat. She grabbed the pacifier that was attached to the car seat and put it in her mouth. And then she's just in this position where she's just completely stuck. She cannot move (laughs) because the pacifier won't come down. And she's kind of, she can barely even like move her head back and forth. And of course, I came to her aid. I gave her a pacifier that wasn't attached so that she was free to move. 
And I was just thinking, I know that's a very silly example, but man, as her dad, I would absolutely sprint to that girl if I ever heard her crying out for help in any situation. I am there immediately, in an instant, in a second. And that is how Jesus feels with us when it comes to temptation. That is a crazy and amazing, amazing truth. Uh, I think what it does is this truth forces a very convicting question of ourselves that we need to ask. It was convicting for me this week is how often do you cry out for help during temptation? How often do you just cry out, Jesus, I need you in this moment of temptation? Because I'm human and I know what most other humans probably do as well is it's so much easier to think, oh, I got this, no big deal. Or if we're really being honest with ourselves, our flesh just takes over and we kind of just want to go along with the temptation as it is. But man, the picture here is that Jesus is saying, if you would just cry out to me, I will come running. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is 1 Corinthians 10 verses 13. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Man, I think there are two really sweet things to just take away from this little piece here, here and now. Number one, Jesus gets it. Like he's experienced temptation himself as a human. He gets it like he understands, right? Like how sweet is it that we have a, a, a God that understands what we're going through? And number two, man, he wants to sprint to your rescue if you were to only cry out. Wow. Back up to verse 16. At the beginning of this section, we're going to get to the good stuff. I promised, and here we are. So in verse 16, again, the author uh, mentions angels as he has the previous two weeks. Again, if you haven't listened to those, go back and check those out. He says, Jesus did not do all of this for angels. He did it for humans, for the offspring of Abraham. I'm not going to get into that in any more depth because we're going to talk more about Abraham in chapter 6. Then he continues on and he says, Jesus had to become human. He had to. So that he could become our high priest and make propitiation for our sin. He had to so he could become our high priest and make propitiation for our sin. So we're going to dive more deeply into how he is our high priest in chapter 8. So I don't want to dive too, too much into it. However, at the same time, these questions have to be answered, right? So we have to get into it a little bit. So the original readers would have known exactly what the author was saying when he mentioned Jesus being the high priest. However, for us modern uh, some non-Jewish readers, we definitely could use a little bit of explanation. So one role of a priest was to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. Uh, the purpose of those sacrifices was to serve as propitiation for sin. 
So Josh, propitiation, what the heck? Propitiation is a big word that generally means payment. So making a payment for our sin, that's very general. However, the reason we use the word propitiation is because it's a better word. The word propitiation refers to turning away God's wrath. Now, I know that God's wrath is not necessarily the most fun topic. Uh, however, it's incredibly important um, because without wrath, I would argue that God would not be God. Without wrath, God would not be God. God's character is absolutely perfect. And so to oversimplify God's character, God is absolutely perfectly loving. And at the same time, he is also perfectly just. Perfectly loving and perfectly just. I think it's super easy for us to understand that we want a perfectly loving God, but we absolutely all also want a perfectly just God. We cry out for justice. We desperately want it. We desperately need it. If you think about the Ted Bundy illustration from before, we 100% want justice. We do not want sin to go unpunished by any means. Please, we need a just God. A God that doesn't punish sin is not a good God. He's not. However, that kind of puts us in a little bit of a pickle as human beings, right? Doesn't it? Because we're sinful. We are separated from a perfect and holy God. We cannot be in his presence. We don't deserve to. What we deserve is death. That is the punishment that is deserved, the wrath that is deserved for our sin. So what priests used to do is they used to sacrifice animals. And the animal's death, that death was to atone for, was to cover, was to make propitiation for the sin of the people. But the author is explaining here, that's not good. Animal death is not good. If we were to skip ahead to chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 verse four explicitly says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible. Human death was required. And to make it personal, your death was required for your sin. It was. And who held the power of death? The devil. This is seemingly horrible, horrible news, right? Like to hear that doesn't feel good, to sit in it doesn't feel good. But fortunately, God had another plan from the very beginning and praise God that he did. Uh, if you're an amen kind of person, like now is an amen time. Praise God that he did. He established that Jesus would be our suffering founder, our unashamed brother, our partaking deliverer, our sympathizing priest. Jesus took on flesh and blood and died the death that we all deserve, making propitiation, making payment for our sin. But then he overwhelmed and defeated the power of death once and for all, and he chooses to make his power of life available for everyone. That is incredible, incredible news. And I would say that sounds pretty fitting for the Messiah, doesn't it? It sounds fitting. So I think uh, as we kind of wrap up and we've been answering and asking a lot of questions, I think one question remains, uh, a question that the readers should ask. 
the original readers and that we should ask as we are working our way through as well is, man, how am I sanctified? How am I made holy? How do I get in on this thing that, Jesus, that God, the Lord set up from the very beginning? Um, in a few moments, I'm actually going to give you a chance to respond. Just wanted to give you that heads up. But man, really, it is so, so simple. Um, and man, as I'm even talking through this here, uh, just kind of rehashing a little bit of what we've talked about today, this is even a prayer that you could just pray in your heart because really it comes down to agreeing what we, with what we've talked about today in your heart. Just agreeing with it in your heart, agreeing that, man, you are a sinner and separated from a holy, perfect God. That Jesus partook of flesh and blood, that he died the death that you deserve and took uh, took away your sin and took it on himself. And finally, that he rose from the dead and now he offers his holiness to you. That's it. Other than that, it's just declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Knowing this in your heart and declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's it. Uh, it's pretty pretty stinking simple. I, uh, I think, man, the gospel message is so incredible. On one hand, it's so simple that a child could understand and not very complicated at all. And on the other hand, we can dive into all these things today. I could have done an entire message on every single point and just mine the depths and the richness of how good the gospel is. How incredible is that? So, so amazing. So today, before I pray, I just wanted to give you an opportunity. Here as you're watching this video, wherever, whenever that may be, Man, if this is ringing true, if this is a time where this has clicked and made sense, yes, Josh, I agree with all of those things that you said in my heart, and I want to declare today that Jesus is Lord. Man, there's nothing special that needs to be done. Uh, man, you can just out loud, even right now with me on the count of three, we're going to say Jesus is Lord. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord of your life. He's Lord of it all. He is the greatest. Let me pray for us. Dear Father, um, Lord, I'm humbled and so thankful. Um, Lord, thankful that you had this cosmic plan from the beginning, um, that you laid it all out, that you set it all up. Um, Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the plan. Um, I, God, am so desperate for Jesus regularly. Um, God, I'm thankful uh, that he, uh, that his death, that his coming to earth, taking on flesh and blood, becoming a man, dying the death that I deserved on my behalf, taking my sin, my junk, my shame. Um, Lord, thank you that his holiness, his righteousness is then given to me. Um, thank you that you see me as holy as pure, not because of anything I've done, but only because of what Jesus has done. Father, I pray that these sweet, sweet truths um, would just invade hearts and minds. I pray that you'd use even this uh, video here today in just sweet ways, Lord. Um, Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity in it. We love you. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
again. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, if you made that decision for the first time today, uh, would you give me a call or shoot me an email? Uh, my email is josh at agorabible.org. Regardless of when it is, it could be the year 2050. I don't care. Like, shoot me an email. Um, man, I would love to just be praying for you, and we'd love to come along aside and support you in any way that we can. We love you so much, ABF Online. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you soon.